certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. The night Jane Rimmer disappeared, CCTV cameras were in the Claremont area recording. Today in court, grainy vision of the 23-year-old was shown publicly for the first time. This is Claremont in Conversation. I'm Natalie Bongiolo and joining me for day 12 of the trial, we have Alison Van in studio. Hello. <laughs> and calling in from Supreme Court, Tim Clark. Okay, so tell us, when did this vision that we haven't seen before of Jane Rimmer um, surface? That popped up very late in the day. Um, some of it we'd seen before because the prosecutor indicated on the first day that um, she would be showing a vision of Jane Rimmer's last believed last mo- uh, movements. But we did see very, very clear vision today of Jane walking between the two popular night spots of Club Bayview and Continental. They tended to walk between the two, um, the party goers yes. when they went to Claremont and you can see her walking backwards and forwards and very very clear vision that we hadn't seen before have we Tim? No that's right and it was it was basically vision that was was scooped up by the detectives back in the day um, after Jane went missing obviously I mean that's when I mean really macro sort of um, you know, went from sort of ten miles an hour to a, a thousand miles an hour, and they and they were looking for every investigative lead they could. And obviously, um, CCTV is an obvious option, and um, so that's what that, that they've scooped it all up. And and you know, here here we are again, as we have mentioned so many times, twenty three years later, seeing it for the in public for the first time. And it, uh, and as Ali says, it was it was very clear vision um given given the you know the sort of the how long ago it was and and the quality of cameras back in the day um it it was clear particularly there was a one very clear shot of of jane coming down the stairs at the continental hotel she even appeared to sort of trip as she got to the bottom but you could see her hair you could see what she was wearing you could see the expression on her face and in and in almost all the clips the expression on her face was one of of, of delight, smiling, socialising, you know, eyes wide, greeting friends, um, you know, just an absolutely typical night out um, until it all went horribly wrong, obviously. Because we never we never saw, it swung back to a spot where she was standing and the next time they said that these cameras were on a loop. Um, I think it was something like 13 seconds between them because they're mainly for troublemakers and they had up to eight cameras. They had four at the Continental and four at the Club Bayview, mm. up to eight. And when they swung back to where she was standing, she, she'd gone. Yeah. So they didn't help in finding those last, that very last minute when she disappeared. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean that really is, a, uh. one of, again, one of those sliding door moments. So as Ali explained, there were four different cameras and they were on a 13-second cycle. So one would record for 13 seconds, and then it would flick to the next one, and then flick to the next one, and then flick back again. And it was actually footage that wasn't shown in court this morning, uh, this afternoon, sorry, but shown in, during the opening. And we'll get to it probably first thing tomorrow, where um, J- you see Jane sort of leaving. Um, to, her friend's going to get a taxi. She decides to wait outside um, the, the hotel on her own and then we, we get into what that what that cycle and at the start of the cycle she's there and then by the time it 
comes back again in those she's 30, finished, 13 yeah. second blocks, she's gone. Mm. And I mean, how different everything could have been if one of those 13 cycles had maybe yes. captured the, the car or the person or, or whatever. We, we don't know, and that's why we're here, um, that, 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 had, um, that had taken her away. I guess the people who don't know the area, um, if we can just paint you a little bit of a picture. So the Continental is on the corner of this very popular street and a very popular night spot. And then you walk, I don't know, Ali, maybe 200 metres up walk, the road. And you t- walk to the next one. It's and a very neighbourhood. Yes, it's a very, feel. yeah. Mm. And then you turn into this little side street and that's where Club Bayview was. And, you know, partygoers um, would sort of beat a path from one to the other. And when the Conti would shut, you would go to Club Bayview just around the corner, a few hundred metres away, and there's an entrance there and a, a door and there's a taxi rank outside. And then you would walk up the stairs this to the first level and that's where everyone was. So that's kind of how close we're talking. And these security cameras, cameras are positioned outside these both of these two clubs. Really for yeah. crowd control and troublemakers because as Claremont, as you know, up until not, up until these murders took place was regarded as a very, very affluent, very safe, very neighbourhood place where everybody seemed to know each other. The kids were all from the local schools or the universities. Yes. You'd, you'd go along and they'd meet friends there. And yes. that's what she was doing, meeting groups of friends, go to the other plate, they'd group, group another friend, they'd walk backwards and forwards till two or three in the morning. Yes, it was packed. You really are talking about yeah. the heyday back then. There mm. was, oh, and the, and know, the inc- yeah, the incidental shots we've, we saw today now of inside the pub, Jane coming down the stairs and then to the right of the stairs was, was, the, was the bottom floor and it was absolutely packed. It was, oh, it was, yes. it was, there was no, literally no room to move. And um, uh, and this this is why these murders had such an effect because it, it, this 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 um, bustling buzzing sort of entertainment precinct in in the in the upper sort of middle class to upper class area of Perth went from being the place to be every Friday Saturday and Sunday night and sometimes in the week yes. and and you remember this was in the middle of winter when Jane went missing not not at the height of Australia Day when Sarah went missing or um, or, or later when um, Kira went missing, and it went from being the place to be to be basically, you know, no one wanted to go. Ever, or if People you did scared, go, yeah. If, yeah. if you did go, as you've said many times, Ali, you, you'd look yes. over your shoulder, you'd go, have to go in groups of three or four, and you, you certainly wouldn't um, stay out on your own after midnight. And with the vision that you saw, I mean, there is that vision that people may recall that over the years we have seen. It was vision that police did release back well, in 1996. They did and they didn't. This is what that very first photograph that they showed um, Jane talking to this random guy. Yes. I remember that caused an uproar because people had said, we have never seen this before. And it was only when the cold case detectives took over and had another review and started to compile the vision that this vision was known but we have never we've seen a few clips but that very first photograph a black and white granny shot of mm. Se- of um Jane, Jane talking to a random guy mm. I remember everybody said why hasn't this been released before yeah. and of course yeah. now we know they had yeah, so I mean, much more yeah um, yeah so- they did and um and it's exactly what the conversation we were having with Damien yesterday about that that choice that obviously detectives felt yes. they had to make at the time, and then as the investigation went on and on and on, that choice between keeping their, uh, as they saw it, investigative advantage of what they knew and what they didn't want suspects to know, and also the other side of the coin is releasing it 
to possibly elicit more information. And as Ali said, it was years after yeah. Jane went missing when this this was released, and certainly nothing like the vision, the length and quality of vision that we've seen today. There was one fleeting image of of Jane talking to this, this, this yes. stranger mm. outside the the, the club. Um, uh, you know, in, in the uh, in the moments before she went missing, and obviously that was they they thought they had a suspect there. Um, you would assume. Um, um, but I mean, they, I've got to point out that there's no suggestion that that man in that footage was Mr. Edwards. It hasn't been no. um, suggested in court and hasn't has, uh, at any stage. And so, obviously, that that was a, a one investigative pathway that that didn't um, bear fruit. So, just for people who haven't maybe seen that particular footage before, can you just describe it for us? You know, we've got Jane. She's outside. She's she's talking to someone. She's just bumped into. That's right. Yeah, she's talking to the the fellow outside the Continental Hotel. She moves around a bit. She walks up and down the sidewalk like a lot of them do. And then she wanders off and then it's picked up as she walks back to Club Bayview. In fact, the Club Bayview vision is much clearer. And unfortunately, you can only see the bottom um, of her at the screen. But that is like perfectly clear. The other stuff is a bit grainy. I wouldn't be able to identify my next door neighbour from some of those pictures. It was very grainy. Yeah. But the Club Bayview stuff was clear as clear as a bell. Absolutely. So what do we see exactly in, the, in that vision from the Club Bayview cameras? Just talking with friends, having a happy time, walking outside, a, the outside club. club Bayview and then she seemed to be heading back Towards they, they tended to wander like Bay, uh, Bayview Terrace itself was like a party scene. Yes, um, very little traffic, and again, as I said, everyone felt safe there. They were, um, everyone knew everyone. How many minutes of vision was shown in court today, and how much of it was Jane in that vision? Um, oh, I'd say upwards of twenty, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah about that. I, I, I would say, and Jane was in a lot of it. Um, um, and sort of highlighted uh, for the court and for for Justice Hall to to know what he was looking at. But I mean, I mean, as Ali said, in some of it, it was clear as a bell who you were looking at. Mm-hmm. There was also um, some extensive footage of one of Jane's friends that she was with on the night as well, t- t- taken to to basically put it all put the timeline together of where the where the where the group had been in the hotel um and there's more to come tomorrow um miss Gallo said that there's at least another 12 minutes of footage to show first thing tomorrow um uh, we may the, not will the public Jane. will the public get to see it do you think can... well that's the that, that's the question so um i know certainly myself other media organizations did put in a, an application for some of that vision to be released, um, but because it was shown very late in the day, that won't be now considered by Justice Hall until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to say, Justice Hall has been um, being very, very um, um, considerate of the family. That's basically been his number one priority. Yes. Order. Yeah. The, 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 the first thing and last thing on his mind when he's been considering exhibits is how is this going to affect the, the family. So Absolutely. I would... I, I, we, Having sat here now for sort of you know coming up to three weeks, I would um, I would be doubtful that yes. he would release it. To be honest, um, for that exact reason, um, uh, we're going to I mean we're going to do our jobs and apply um, uh, to, to see if we if if we can get some or or, or maybe just snippets of it um, just to show um, show those that aren't in court um, you know what Jane's what movements at. were yeah. were but you know obviously. Um, that, that's entirely up to the Justice Hall and, and, and we'll abide by any, any ruling he comes down with. It was a very hushed court too when they were playing this Absolutely. Vision. 
Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh. It's, all, it's, 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 there's been a lot of still images and documents. It's been, it's been a, sort, of, sort of quite a document-heavy trial so far. Oh. But anyway, whenever there's been vi- moving vision, or particularly that audio of Sarah on the first day and then, uh, and then um, late last week, um, you really could, could hear a pin yes. drop then when it's yeah. showing it because everyone is absolutely, you know, just just you know, totally riveted in, in, in to it, captured yeah, yeah. by it because mm. it's never been seen before. Um, vision of 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 crimes and, and and women that you know here in Western Australia, you you feel like you almost know them yeah. in in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain aspect, but of course, you know, we didn't. We only know them through. Unfortunately, what's happened to them? Was um, Jane's mum, Jenny, in court today? No, no she hasn't been here since day one of the no. trial. She's she's quite frail. She's quite infirm. Um, she only managed to sort of stay till the day, the lunchtime of day one of the trial. But she right. she, she did put an, a, a, an appearance in. I, I think um, sort of through police who've been dealing with her family. I think they felt it. She felt it was very important for her to be there. Um, um, Jane's brother obviously gave um, evidence late last week um, yes. as well. Um, but no, no, J- J- Jenny, Jenny wasn't there. Um, Neither were any of the family of the others either, were they? No, no. I, uh, it, it was an in and out day oh. of court for, for a lot of reasons today. And um, no, uh, I don't think any, any of the, Family. Um, the families of the murder victims were there, no. And what about um, Bradley Edwards? Was he also intently watching the videos today? Yes, yes, he was taking notes um, using his own little screen, as we've as we've alluded to before. He's got one. <clears throat> excuse me, he's got one in in the dock himself that he can so he can concentrate and uh, doesn't have to squint across the courtroom like uh, like some of uh, some of us do. <laughs> um, and so yeah, he was. Um, he was he was he was looking and watching um, quite intently, as pretty much everyone everyone in court was. So if um, the last shots that you saw today of Jane in this video, what mm. time of the night was that? Round about, a, round, um, I think they gave the times, didn't they? Well, they gave the yeah, times of the cameras. Yeah, it was just midnight, I think. 20, um, yeah, and then... So it spanned, the, the vision spanned from about 20 to midnight, sort mm. of, you know, leading up to basically a few minutes before midnight. Right. And then the crucial time tomorrow that we'll come to, is four minutes after midnight, mm-hmm. which was the last footage that we saw of Jane that we've already spoken about, that 13-second that cycle. Um, and then it's basically 12.04. Um, uh, she's gone. Now, obviously, before Jane disappeared, um, we go back to Sarah, mm. which was at the start of um, 1996. And this morning, that's where you started in court, right? You started with um, the night Sarah disappeared? We started with another witness who had, was woken up by these three really loud, she said, disturbing, distressing screams. And we've already heard two other witnesses describe these three and think, I think the three screams um, came straight after each other. They were described as blood curdling, never to be forgotten once you heard them. And we had another witness today, a young woman who was woken up um, by those screams. She went out onto the balcony, but she couldn't see anybody. She thought they were coming. Mosman Park is a riverside suburb. She thought they were coming from the river end of Mosman Park um, near a, a college called Iona Presentation College. Uh, but that was about as far as she could go. The 
uh, defence lawyer challenged her on what nights because she they'd both been out, she and her husband, both nights of that long weekend drinking quite heavily. But she said, no, she woke up to those screams. She couldn't wake her husband up, but she heard them. So yeah. what was the confusion or with her testimony? Well, there's, I think there was some... some she, she explained in court that she'd been... or her, her and her husband, then husband, had been out two nights in a row mm-hmm. um, over that long weekend, um, uh, you know, celebrating um, as, as we all do um, on Australia Day weekend um, here. And... Um, she, there was some confusion about which uh, social event she'd attended on which night. And so in, in, in some of her statements or some of her recollections to police, she'd um, thought that she'd attended a, a certain party on the Friday night when she said she heard the screams, when in fact that party had been on the Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and so there was, there was some timeline confusion. Um, but uh, under quite sort of heavy um, questioning, I've got to say, by Mr. Jovic, she stuck to her guns and said, no, I was never confused about when I heard the screams. I always thought I heard the screams on the Friday, but it was w- which party I attended on the Friday or the Saturday that I was confused about. And so, um, and as Ali said, it, it's quite compelling evidence, this scream evidence we've heard. We've now heard, as she said, three different three different people on three different spots yes. surrounding this, this, this phone box where the prosecution are going to triangulate the screams to say that that's where they think they came from. That's where they think Sarah was either dropped off or first attacked at that or near, very near that phone box. Um, and, and I plotted them on a map today, actually, and, they, and, they, and they're basically in a perfect triangle, these three people oh. or, or mm. persons that have heard these screams mm. at almost virtually exactly the same time, 2.30 in the morning. They've dis- dis- all described them as, you know, not just a, you know, not like a cat or not like a girly girl scream. This was a proper, horrific, disturbing scream that has now woken basically three independent people on three different points of the Mosman Park map, which would suggest that, you know, something very untoward yeah. was occurring. And Paul Jovic is quite strong when it comes to his questioning of this. Is it, is, is it very, how does it play out? Is it very calm and methodical? Is it, is it tense when he is? No, he's fairly relaxed, yeah. yeah. He just yeah. challenges them on uh, things that he can, uh, discrepancies in perhaps their earlier statements, which he keeps reminding them, wasn't your memory much fresher back then, right. months after the statement was taken, rather than 20 years on. So that's what he keeps hammering. And um, the girl today, she really wasn't quite sure was, whether it was a Friday or Saturday, but she did remember the screams. And she said, yes. uh, you know, what does it matter? I remember those screams. And she yeah. describes them as the other witnesses have described them. Oh. Yeah, horrific, she called them, um, horrific. And uh, I, exactly the same as one of the other witnesses, three very piercing, yeah. very high-pitched, obviously female screams, uh, directly one after the other, yeah. um, and then nothing. And did you say, sh- did she report this at the time? Uh, a few days later, she rang Crime Stoppers, which yes. is the sort of anonymous oh. tip line that you can ring in Australia for, for any incident that, that, that you want the police to know about, but you don't necessarily want to call the police, if you know what I mean. Yeah. She rang a few days later and reported it and, and reported exactly what she basically reported in court today. And that was important because that was the, obviously the first and most contemporaneous report she made. And in that, she said, I heard them at 3 a.m. on Saturday morning, you know, which is the hours from Friday 
Australia Day into Saturday when we know that Sarah was last seen alive. Um, Today there was more talk about the Telstra cars and you heard from some more Telstra technicians. Um, Was there any additional information there that was fresh? We were awake for that alley, were you? It was quite dry, that <laughs> evidence. It was quite quite hard going. It was barely awake. <laughs> yeah, but necessary. Um, as I say, flippant, but it was, it was heavy going. So this was a gentleman who'd worked for Telstra since 1972, can you believe? I was born in, I was born in 1972. So that's, <laughs> that shows you how, how, how long his career was. And he, he'd gone from technicians working in PABX systems, which Mr. Edwards worked to, into sort of an operational role. And he was in, basically in charge of the, the fleet of, of Telstra mm-hmm. cars. And so he explained how the fleet worked and how, um, you know, uh, operatives and, and um Employees could get access to fleet cars, but they weren't supposed to just, you know, take the keys and, and, and drive. And he installed a new sort of system whereby everyone knew which cars, who, which, which employee had which car and right. when. And then he was also asked about um, Telstra uniforms, um, which we've also sort of gone over quite um, quite methodically already. Um, but he was one of the two witnesses that actually produced a pair of these um these, the Telstra uniform um, from the mid-90s, which we've already explained is going to become really important when it comes to the fibre evidence because they say that fibre is found on Jane and on Kira and on the, the, the rape victim from Karakata all match the blue fibres that were only worn and could only have been worn by Telstra employees. Mm-hmm. I think the prosecutions are not missing much. Are they they're going over absolutely every shred yes. of paper trail? I think they're trying to cover everything it could be possibly challenged or mm-hmm. isn't that, that that seems to be the way. Like um even the judge came at one stage, he said, What, you want me to look at something that doesn't doesn't show anything? And do you want me to read this? Do I really have to read this? House magazine showing the blue, you know, uniforms that they wore and things like that. It's just Yes. Minute detail. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got a big team of prosecutors working yeah. in there. What, you've got up to 11 prosecution yeah. and then up only about four or five defensive the most. Yeah. And does yeah, it seem right. to you that um, Paul Jovic is really honing in on details more now and, and really picking up on any little inc- inconsistencies in testimony? He's not. Yeah, well, he's certainly trying to. He's certainly trying to. Oh. And that's his job. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, and it, Point out discrepancies, he, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and those... I mean, the, the, the fibres are going to be um, important, as we've said. I mean, I mean, there wasn't really much he could punch a hole in today. I mean, this chap had these trousers. Yeah. I mean, the, you know... The, and they even came up going into Ali's point about detail that they came up with the order form that this gentleman had used or they, that they will say that he used to order these particular pair of pants um, and so that they, they can show what time of the of his career it was basically I think 97 that he'd ordered them to show that yes well these are the same exact same types of pants that Mr Edwards would have been wearing at the time and yeah. they were ordered from the same place and they ordered in the same way so yeah I mean they, they, they're being very thorough with the with the stuff that they're going to need to be thorough with um, and you know as I said before we're just getting a taste of what it's going to become when when it, when it gets down to DNA and fibers yes. and experts because, I mean, that is particularly detailed evidence anyway, and they're being detailed with these so-called civilian witnesses. So, we, I mean, it, it, it is going to be, it, um, you know, intricate detail when it when it really does get down to the forensics.
Well, I, I guess we, you know, it shows us why this trial is going to take as long as it is going to take. There is so much to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, we just have time for a couple of questions that have come through from listeners. Some of you would like to know if court is sitting over Christmas, and I think our understanding, Tim, to correct me if I'm wrong, that court will break from Monday the 23rd of December to Friday the 4th of January, which means um, the trial will resume on Monday the 6th of Jan. Is that your understanding? That's the understanding as it stands justice hall did some sort of pre-trial programming and that was what that was his initial thought um that will be done for various reasons obviously you can't you know sit on christmas day there's a whole um, infrastructure that goes around getting courts up including security and getting mr edwards from prison there's also um witness availability as well i mean you're going to be very unlikely to get a witness wanted to come in on no. boxing day um uh, so yes but it's a much shorter break than would be usual mm. um courts in western australia in perth in in the cbd usually break from that sort of last friday before christmas they'll usually have a month off you usually come back sort of later in january so justice hall has made it very clear that he wants the the the, the trial to continue um, when it can um, and so they're, they're the dates we're all working towards so far. Yeah and just another um, point for our listeners from overseas a few of you have asked us about the legal drinking age in um, Western Australia so obviously in the United States it's 21 but here in Australia it's 18 which is why um, um, some of the younger people are in the bars and clubs and pubs and it was pretty lax back then as well <laughs> compared to what it is today. <laughs> and uh, just finally, Tim, I'm going to ask you if you can cast your mind back. There's been a couple of questions about the gas bill and I think this mm. is around the time that Edward's marriage was unravelling. Can you just recap the gas bill situation and what the significance was? Yeah, so that was a, a that was basically a timeline question and it also goes to the motive um the 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 emotional upset motive that we've talked about um so the the most that briefly very briefly recap that um prosecutors say there were certain points in mr edwards's personal life that correlated with the murders and they say that was when his, his his you know his private life was in turmoil basically and one of those was the um the news of the pregnancy um between the lover and his first wife um that she pinpointed that at a time quite early in her pregnancy she said she didn't think she was showing um it was it was done on a phone uh it was done over the phone and it was done at a a particular address that she'd moved into with her lover but the um prosecutor the defense pardon me point then pointed out well the address that you thought that you'd relayed that news from, mm-hmm. um, you can't have been living there at that time because we have a gas bill or, or an Alinta gas record to show that the gas wasn't turned on at that address until the September, which obviously completely puts out of whack the um, the timeline yes. um, when Jane was went missing and was murdered in the June. Um, so that was the significance of it. Um, it turns out, as the um, the third wheel, as we, we um, labelled him mm-hmm. late last week, was giving his, his evidence, it, it transpired that the, the, the wife's evidence might have, she might have actually got her timeline wrong in terms of, of where they were living at the time, because they'd moved out and they moved it. So there were several addresses that they moved into um, after the, the marriage breakdown. 
and she first moved in with her parents and then there was another address and then there was another address. And so it turned out as um, the, the third wheel was giving evidence, he basically had his timeline better in place than she did. So um, as Damien um, alluded to, it, 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 initially that looked like it could be a, a, a really good um, a really good point of um, point of contention for the for the prosecution but it, it, as it turned out it was it was basically and the, the, fir- the first wife's sort of part of her vague evidence about yeah. where she was actually living at the time um, and so I, I don't think that's now going to become a, a huge a huge pressure point um, for the defense right. um, as the as the motive um, okay. arguments continue. I mean, as we've discussed, it you know when you're asking people to um, cast their memories back decades, it is really difficult to come up with these details. Oh well, we certainly can. Um, I mean, Ali's, Ali's memories probably stretches back a bit further than mine. But um, <laughs> thank but, uh, you, Tim. Uh, but, uh, well, but, but you know, maybe, maybe it's better in some parts than mine as well because uh, I was I was one of those teenagers that was drinking at eighteen and maybe a little bit before. With my sons. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> no, of course you weren't. Of course I weren't. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both so much again for your time today and all the hard work you're doing in court. Um, thanks, listeners, for getting in touch with us. We love the feedback. So please do email us with any other questions or any feedback you have whatsoever. So I guess tomorrow we'll hear more on the video, which will we'll be see released. More video, and, yes, see more of the video, yes. See more of the video. So you'll relay to us um, what you've seen there. And thanks to you both. And we will be back tomorrow for Day 13's podcast. And we hope you can join us then. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont The Trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.